If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. My hope is that when we get to the end, those of you that took your kids out would say, oh, that really wasn't too bad, Tim. You kind of overreacted. I'll, I'll be okay with that. I would much rather prefer that than the other of, I can't believe you did this and my kids were here. Okay, so that's kind of the heart of what's coming out of, of that disclaimer. Thank you for, for uh, you know, listening to that. And that's not normal, not something we do. Um, but here we are, find ourselves in this text, and we've got to deal with it. Some of the, uh, the greats and some of the difficulties of preaching through texts is that you can't avoid them. If we showed up this morning and skipped over 1 through 8 and just jumped into 9, I'm sure we would get, I would get emails or phone calls like, Tim, why are we avoiding this, all right? And so we're here, and we're going we're gonna to deal with it. But there's really, I know that's kind of the hot-button issue, but there's so much more going on in this text for us to grab hold of this morning. I think particularly before we jump in there, I kind of already, you know, already set the stage of where we're heading, but this, this, just this general idea for, for all of us, Christians, um, and, and particularly uh, the culture around us that's trying to understand God, trying to know God, trying to decide if this God of the Bible or any God is a God that they want to follow. I think there's a normal track that we kind of all kind of work through or deal with, and is this idea that God is some cosmic killjoy that has given us all of these rules because he doesn't like us, or he, you know, he's just punishing us for all the sin that we've done, and so now he wants us to be his followers, yes, but he's given us all these rules because he doesn't want us to have fun. He wants our life to be miserable and terrible or you know that, that's that's how I think sometimes we approach God we look at particularly the Old Testament we see some of the laws there and like you know what's going on and then you get to some of the things that Jesus says and and I think in a culture that's that's craving self-indulgence and and uh, self-satisfaction that when we have a God any God but particularly our God the God the one true God the God of the Bible who is telling us how we ought to live that it can be difficult say, well, he just doesn't want us to have fun. He doesn't want us to do all the fun things that the world gets to do. And I'm really hoping this morning that more than just the sexual immorality part, that you will see what God is doing in your life in regards to all of those things, why God is asking us to do things. So with that in mind, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you must walk and please God as you are doing, do so even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is God's will, your sanctification. So stop right there. So we're kind of picking up in the middle of of the story, in the middle of the letter, Paul and Silas and Timothy writing this letter to the Thessalonians. And up to this point, it's been very um, relational. It's been, it's been very personal and kind of, hey, we, you know, we love you, we care about you, and, and just kind of a, a recounting of what has happened in their past. And now we're kind of moving into more like what we would think of Pauline literature, right? We're moving into more like how to flesh this thing out. And that's kind of what we're moving into in this section. He says, okay, finally, doesn't mean the end. Obviously, we have a little way to go. He says, okay, now that we've dealt with these things, let's move into this. And he says, we want to ask you and we want to encourage you in the Lord. Like, 
We want to urge you, maybe your text says, and, and, and Paul is wanting them to get the gravity of what he's about to unfold to them. Like, this is really important. You need, you need to get this. You need to understand this. And we want you, just as you've received from us, to walk in a way that pleases God. So Paul has been there. He shared the things of God with them. He says in verse 2, you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So Paul has been there with the Thessalonians. Even though it was a short time, he's clearly told them and taught them and how to follow Jesus Christ, the teachings of Jesus and what it means to follow him. And so now he's urging them. He said, yes, you've been doing this. We've heard report you're being faithful to the Lord, you're being faithful to the things that we've told you, but in more quantity, in growing, co- uh, in, in growing um, I just lost my word, in, in more and more, as he says, <laughs> that in abundance, that you would be living this way, that you would keep on doing that, but you would also be saying more, don't give up in a sense, like keep doing this, there's more life coming, keep pleasing the Lord. I think sometimes in our generation and, and really our, our kind of a Christian generation now, we've, we have this tendency, we've talked about this before, and that we have this tendency to prop grace up, which we should. Grace is the foundation of our our, our, our relationship with Christ. But I think to some degree we diminish, the, diminish this idea that we are also to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Yes, God loves us. We know that God loves us. We're getting to that a little bit later. But he's also asked us to live in such a way that would be pleasing to them. In, in fact, in the, end of chapter, in the middle of chapter 2, there towards the end, he talks about a people who lived towards God in the displeasing way. So there is a way in which we can live that pleases God or displeases God. That the things that we do give pleasure to the Lord or cause him displeasure. Right? It's the same thing with my kids. Right? Do I love my children? Yes, I love my kids. There's nothing that they can do that will change that. But when my kids do something wrong... My heart is grieved. I'm not pleased with them. In the same way, when they do things that, that, I've, that I've asked them to do and they're obedient and they're faithful, that brings me pleasure. I think we've got to remember that God has, yes, he has saved us. He has poured out his grace on us. But he's also asked us as his followers, as his ambassadors, to live in such a way that pleases him. And he, and he really kind of, caveats all of that in the beginning of verse 3. For this is God's will, your sanctification. Your sanctification. God is saying, Paul is telling the Thessalonians, God is telling us through the letter to the Thessalonians that God's will for our life is holiness. God's desire, what God longs for, What motivates the heart of God towards us is our sanctification, our holiness. We are in this walk. This is a journey that we're going through as his followers. And Paul says we're all brothers and sisters going through this together. This isn't Paul like the grand, you know, poobah, like he's got everything figured out. Just like, you know, you got to do this. No, we're in this together. We're all in this sanctification process. We're all in this growing in our faith with Jesus Christ. We all have areas that we've struggled. He's not saying, yeah, you've done this so well because you're so great and you've, you've never made mistakes. He's saying, no, your heart is toward this. Keep your heart towards this. But we've all, we've all failed. We've all made our mistakes. And we've got to see 
and understand this verse, particularly verse 3, God's will, your sanctification, in light of the rest of Scripture. And we certainly know that this idea of being sanctified, as we read the Bible, is really a two-headed coin. We know what's coming. On one side of the coin, we know that someday we are going to stand before God and the grace and the mercy and the sanctification, the righteousness of Jesus Christ will be, will be on us as we stand in our position before the Lord. That when we get to heaven, we will be completely sanctified. No more sin, no more struggle for holiness. We will stand before him completely holy because of what Jesus Christ has done. Because Jesus Christ came and was a substitute for our sin, he died on the cross, he rose on the third day, so that you and I might be sanctified. We might be seen righteous in the eyes of God. That is certainly, we know what the destination is. We know what is coming. But we also live now in this other side, in a process of sanctification, the Bible calls it, a process of holiness. And I want us to see particularly what Paul says, this is God's will for you. This is God's desire for you. This is God's longing, his heart for you because of, of you. It's for you. I think we can get this idea of God's will, particularly at, uh, dealing with college students, but I think generally we all kind of struggle with this. Like, what is God's will for my life? You know, am I, am I at the right job? Am I dating the right person? Am I married? So to marry this person, all of these questions that we struggle with. And I I think those are okay, things we need to struggle with, but I think the bigger picture, the more clear picture that we see in Scripture is that whatever job you have, whoever it is you choose to date and ultimately marry, is that you would live towards them in such a way that it's holy, that your job would be lived towards in such a way that you're striving for holiness. As long as your job is not unethical or immoral or, you know, whatever, that you're treating your job with holiness, you're treating people with respect, and you're being honest, and all of these things. That if you, if you date, if you're moving towards marriage, that you do it in such a way that is holy. And God's less worried about which job and which person and which car and what, you know, all these decisions we got to make. I'm not saying he's not worried, I'm just saying he's a little less worried about that than the decision that you decide to make, that you walk towards it, you walk in it in a way that is God honoring. I see, I think this is where we have this trouble with this idea of our holiness and God being for our holiness. Because then we start to see, well, what about all of these things that God is saying we can't do or we shouldn't do? And that is certainly sometimes the case. But generally what we see in Scripture is that God wants us to take these things and use them in the right way, in a holy way, because that is what is best for us. When we see this text and we see that it says, God's desire is your holiness, Well, what you need to hear Paul say, what you need to hear God say to you is, I am for you. I love you. I care about you. I know what's best for you. We've saying God is holy. God is perfect. if, If we believe these things about, to be true about who God is, we say, man, he is perfect and he is right and he is just and he is good. He's going to act that way towards us in, in a sense of caring for who we are. So when we start thinking and talking about holiness, or thinking and talking about living lives pleasing to, to God, it's not so that we can be this, you know, regimented people. It's because God loves you. He cares about you. He knows what's best for you. And he wants you to take things like money 
and jobs and creation and sex. And he wants you to use them in such a way that will be the best benefit for you. That will be to your good, to your ultimate pleasure, to your ultimate satisfaction. And then he steps in in, verse, in the end of verse 3, steps into kind of this, to give an example. And clearly this is probably something that the Thessalonians are dealing with, this idea of sexual immorality. And I don't think it's anything, for, like I think for us we feel like, ah, oh, we're struggling. This is not new to us. The struggle in sexual immorality is not something that just we Americans in the 21st century are dealing with. This is something that people have been dealing with over time. And so we pick up at the middle of verse 3. It will start in verse 3. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told you and warned you. Before we step into this topic of sexual immorality, I just want to I just want to help us all kind of gather around. I think this is an issue. It's certainly a hot topic. It's, it's in our culture in lots of different ways. Adultery, pornography, homosexuality, all of these things. When, when, when Paul uses this word, sexual immorality, he's using a catch-all kind of a phrase for everything that would be um, against the way that God has designed it. So the, so the way that God's designed it is that one man and one woman would come together in marriage, pure when they come together, holy when they come together, having abstained from sexual immorality before marriage, and they would come together and they would live together in such a way that their sexual relationship would be holy to one another and towards the Lord. One man, one woman living together till death do us part, right? But I think the reality is for all of us across the board, I'm, I'm guessing, is we have all sinned in this area in some degree. And Jesus says, if you've lusted after someone, you've committed adultery in your heart, we could just start there. I'm guessing that most of us in this room, at the very least, if we haven't given in, we've been heavily tempted. Maybe... Maybe you're strong and you've not given in to the lust of your heart. And God has given us this in us. It's just like I was saying earlier, like God gives us money. He wants us to to have money to take care of our family. God has given us this creation. He wants us to use this creation in a way that would honor him. God has given us these sexual desires. These, These are not something that are wrong. Sex is not wrong. Sexual desire is not wrong. God has given them to us. But the enemy has distorted those things. Sin in our lives has distorted those things. And now we live in this difficulty, this struggle. I believe this is one of the biggest areas that, that the enemy comes and tempts us. Tries to take something that is good and right and pleasing to the Lord and distort it. So that we'll give in to the trap. He'll say to us, this is not good. This is not pleased. This is what's good. This is what is pleasing. He says there, we will act like 
the Gentiles. We give in to our lustful desires. You see this contrast that is happening. You have, in one hand, this people who are giving themselves to their own lustful desires, their own cravings, their own whatever's going to gratify them, their own sexual desires for their own pleasure, their own everything about them, me, me, this selfish desire. I want my pleasure now. I want, instead of doing things God's way, he says, you would learn how to control your body in sanctification and honor. I think this, obviously, I think there's a lot of ways that we distort the things of God, but we'll stick with this one because this is where the text takes us. I think it's something that Thessalonians are dealing with and something that's important to us. We live in a sex-crazed culture. Everywhere you turn, people are selling products through sex. People are coming at you in your marriages to try to make you sin in your marriage. Singles, you struggle with this every day. The culture that says you don't have to wait for your husband or your wife, that, that's old school, right? That's, that's, that's in the past, Before, as we move into this, just realizing that this is something we all need to hear. God has a design for us in our sexual relationships. And his design for us is that we would be pure. We would abstain from sexual immorality. We would abstain from from sex before marriage and sex outside of marriage. We would abstain from homosexuality and pornography and everything in between. I think he gives us some help here. He says these two words where he talks about controlling your body in sanctification and honor. We have this word sanctification that comes up again. This idea of living this way is holy. It's holy to the Lord. It's pleasing to the Lord. It is a part of our sanctification that God wants us to live this way towards him because it is pleasing to him that we would live the way that he's asked us to live. Because what we're saying is we're submitting ourselves to him saying, God, you are the Holy One. We want to trust you. We want to live this way because we want to honor you. We believe that you are the God who knows what is best for us. And so we're going to live our lives in this way. But then he also says that we would do it for honor. when, When we live the way that God has asked us to live in the area of sexual immorality, it brings honor to him. It brings honor to the Lord. It also brings honor to our own lives. We've been unpacking this word honor with the college students on Wednesday nights, and it's this idea of giving preference, giving weight to someone or giving preference to someone. And you see this picture particularly of honor. Giving preference to someone else, even in the idea of honoring ourselves, what we say when we honor, what I mean when we honor ourselves is that we believe about ourselves what God believes about ourselves. We're giving deference to what God thinks about us. So we're going to say, God, I'm going to do it your way because I believe you believe what is best for me. Therefore, I'm going to believe what is best for me. I'm going to honor my own body. I'm going to please you in my own body. Versus the lustful desires of the world, of the Gentiles who do not know God. They're driven by them, their own self-satisfaction, their own self-gratification. That's not what honor is. Honor is deferring to someone else. And when we live holy in the area of sexuality, we bring honor to the Lord, we bring honor to ourselves. 
We bring honor to our spouse or our future spouse. We defer to them. We say, I'm not going to give in to the sexual gratification, the sexual desire now because I know it's not what's best for me and I want to honor you. I want to please you. I know in this moment it might feel like it's the right thing to do, but I'm going to trust the Lord because I think he knows what's best and I'm going to choose to honor him. I'm going to choose to honor me. I'm going to choose to honor you in this way. And then, and then it's just how we honor each other. He, he goes on to talk about this means one must not transgress and defraud his brother in this matter. I think what Paul is trying to say is when we sin sexually outside of marriage, we're dishonoring our brother and sister. We've stepped out of the intended way that it's supposed to be. This idea of transgress is to step out of the way that it's supposed to be. We've sinned. We've not done it the way that it's supposed to be done. And we've defrauded our brother. How have we defrauded our brother? Well, we've defrauded them by by making their marriage a sham. Sin has come in and distorted the marriage. It's distorted our relationship with our brothers. If someone in here were to have an affair with someone else's Wife, that's what you're doing. You're defrauding your brother. That's, that's what we do. I say, well, Tim, I mean, you know, pornography, it's not really that big a deal. It's not really hurting anybody. It's, it's just, you know, me alone and no one really knows. I don't know if you've done any investigation into the pornography industry, but it is devastating. The person that you're looking at on your screen or on your phone or you are defrauding them and destroying them because they are in an industry that cares little about their life and their well-being. There is sin. There is sex trafficking. There's people being held against their will and all of the, every, I mean, it's, it's deplorable. Adultery is not just two people having sex in privacy. This is what Paul means when he says, the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. I think in reading through this text, this has been the one part for me that is startling. I think Paul wants the readers to see, he wants you and I to see that This is serious to the Lord. There is devastation that occurs because of our sin. And we certainly know that the Bible teaches, you're like, what does this mean, Tim? The Lord is an avenger. Like, Tim, I've I've been there. I've made these offenses. I've given in to lust and I've done whatever. This is me, Tim. I'm sinful. I've given in. I've not done. Does this mean that God is avenging me? Well, I'm not sure exactly what it means, but it doesn't sound very good. I think Paul is showing us this warning here. I think any of us who have stepped into even some level of sexual sin, we face the ramifications of it. We know that this, this, it can't mean that this is going to change. Thus, those of us who are Christians who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that his vengeance is coming towards us in a way that would make us lose our salvation or that God 
that we would not be saved anymore. That's not what he means. But there is a discipline. There is a devastation that happens in sexual sin that is harsh and difficult. Paul puts this here for a warning for us. To say, listen, you don't want to go down this road because what awaits is difficulty and destruction. And it will not be enjoyable. I know that you think that giving in to this might be what is best for you because it will be self-satisfying and it will be enjoyable, but the end will not be. The result will be destruction and devastation. I got to thinking about how easy it is for us to give in to, to sin in general, but sexual temptation, how really it's, it's ravishing our culture Far too often, our churches, our church leaders, I fear for myself when I read this text. I'm not standing up here as a man who's sinless in this area, that I've never failed in this area, and I'm certainly not standing up here as someone who says, I've got this figured out, and, I, and I, this isn't a big deal to me. I hear Paul's warning, and I fear for myself. I hope we're all hearing Paul's warning and going, yes, Tim, I don't want that to be Me, I know that I'm one step away. I'm one decision away from falling into sexual sin. And this is to motivate us. Sometimes consequences are a good motivator. You don't want to step into this because it's not good for you. I was thinking about why it can be so easy for us. And I don't know if this illustration will be helpful, but I'm going to share it anyway because it was good for me. If I were to give you a $100 bill, a real $100 bill, and a fake $100 bill, just one, and said, hey, go out and spend that this week, you would have a dilemma on your hands, right? You'd say, well, if you gave me the real one, well, that would be easy to spend. You know, there's no fear of consequences, right? You're like, I'll go buy something for $100, and it will be great. I'll be happy to spend it. I'll be happy to... Whatever I buy, hopefully it will be good and right and not immoral. And he said, this will be great for me, and I'll enjoy that. If I gave you this $100 bill that was fake and you went to spend it this week, say, yeah, Tim, I've really been wanting these new shoes. But I don't have the money, but I give you this fake 100 Now you have a dilemma, right? Well, I, really, I really want these shoes. Is it, is it really that big a deal? I mean, it's just one $100 bill. I mean, probably won't get caught. If I do, it's not really that big. I mean, consequences won't be too bad. So the the dilemma doesn't seem quite that bad because it just seems like this one little bitty thing. But what the enemy does is he keeps coming back and he keeps giving this, the impurity. Verse 9, the end of verse 8 Uh, Sorry, end of verse 7. For God has not called us to impurity, but sanctification. So we have this dilemma between taking what is impure, taking what is not true in its essence, versus living in a way that is holy and right and good. And what the enemy does is he gets us to say, this little impurity, it's it's just not that really that big a deal. 
And he gives us another fake hundred, another fake hundred, another fake hundred, and so on and so forth. And it would be different this morning if I said, okay, I'm giving you $1,100 bills, $100,000, if my math is right. If not, just pretend, okay? $100,000 worth of fake $100 bills, and you've got to go spend it this week. I'm guessing some of you would be like, Tim, that's a big deal. If I get caught doing that, that's going to have major consequences for my life. As you can see the big picture, you can see it all at once. This is how sexual sin, this is how the enemy comes at us with any sin, but with sexual sin. It's just, it's just a little, right? It's just a little. And before you know it, you look back and you have $100,000 worth of poor decisions and you devastation. If we could see what was going to be happening in our past and the consequences that we would ultimately have to face, I think most of us would not make the decision to step into that sin. If we knew the avenging, if we knew this devastation that was to come, we would say, I don't want to experience that. That's how the enemy gets us to live a life that's displeasing to the Lord. He takes something that's good and right and twists it to something that's impure. And we don't see the full consequences of it. I think Paul wants us to be aware this morning. There are consequences for our sin. And all of this is in the light of sanctification and holiness. We need to see the discipline and the avenging of God because God loves us, not because he's giving this this warning because he doesn't want us to experience this, not because he does. Why? Because God cares about our holiness. He cares about what is right for us. He cares about our sanctification. And so God is saying, don't go down this road because it doesn't end well. Go down this road. Choose holiness. Choose sanctification because it is what is right and good for you. It is my heart towards you that you experience sex with, and, and sexual intimacy and sexual relationships in a way that doesn't have any devastation, in a way that doesn't have any guilt, in a way that doesn't have any shame. And we would see not just the warning, yes, the warning, but we would see the heart behind the warning that God says, my will, my heart, my desire for you is your holiness. When God tells us to do things in his word, it's because he loves us and he knows what is best for us. He is for our good. He is working to make us holy because he loves us and he cares about us. I know maybe you're sitting there this morning, you're going, Tim, and that sounds good, but this is hard. Maybe you're in the middle of an addiction or maybe you're there standing on the precipice of making a decision in this area. So Tim, well, how can I do that? How can I live in obedience? How can I live in holiness? This seems rather, rather daunting. And Paul kind of makes this statement. As Kurt and I were talking about how it's like, I don't really know what this is. He kind of just kind of throws it in here at the end, at least at first glance. He says, you know, 
Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. Now you hear me talking up here this morning. and I'm urging you and begging you to pursue holiness in your life. And if you choose not to do that, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the Lord. But there's also great encouragement. And I'm glad we get to end here. Because he says, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. God knows that living out this life of holiness is going to be difficult. And maybe, maybe sexual sin is not in the area for you that you struggle with. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's the way you treat your, your kids. Maybe it's your anger. I don't know what it is, but it's something. We all have the things that we're struggling with. We're just kind of pointing out this one this morning because it's here. But the reality is in this idea of pursuing holiness and sanctification, we're all in this struggle together. None of us are perfect. We're longing for the day when that's going to be the case and, and we get to live in perfection in our relationships and, and all the consequences of our sin, all the things, the struggles that we're dealing with are going to go away, but we're not there yet. God says, I've given you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to be with you. I'm there to help you. Listen to his voice. You're standing in that moment and you have to make that decision. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit will be prompting you. He'll be, he's there to, to help you. If you've sinned in this area and you're walking through the avenging, you're walking through the difficulty of what's coming out of that, I want you to know the Holy Spirit is there to help you and to guide you. If you have this sin in your past and you're thinking, Tim, how am I going to move forward? I've got all this baggage. Well, we know the cross of Jesus Christ, right? He covers our sin. We can find redemption. We can find grace. We can find salvation in Jesus Christ. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us move forward in living in holiness in this area. And walking through the discipline of the Lord. And living in a culture that is just, man, on, we're, you're going to experience this afternoon when you watch the Super Bowl. If you watch the Super Bowl, every other commercial probably selling something that has nothing to do with a woman in a bikini. And the Holy Spirit is in us to help us. God has not left us on us on our own in this idea of holiness and sanctification. He says, no, this is so important to me. This is so dear to me. This is so my will, my heart, my desire for you that I'm going to give the Holy Spirit to you because I know it will be difficult. He's going to be with you. He's going to walk with you. Listen to him. Hear his voice. We have been given the Bible. Verse 2, you know the commands that you've been given through. We know who we are supposed to be in Christ. The more we study the Bible, the more God has given us this to know who he is, and how we are to live with him. And so the more we spend in the word of God, the more we are, are saturated in the word of God, then the Holy Spirit will be able to use the word of God. The Holy Spirit will use other people in our lives, other relationships in our lives, accountability in our lives, friendships in our lives. He will speak to us through, through the spirit that lives in us. And we are not left to our own. 
This, is, this idea of holiness is not a battle that, that we can't say we can move forward in with more and more victory. Certainly, we'll never be perfect in this world. But God is for us. He loves us. He cares about us. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to be our help. Will you, will you listen to the Lord working in your heart? Will you listen to the Lord in these areas that you're struggling in? Will you listen to the Lord that says, I know what's best and I know what is right for you individually. I know what is right for us as brothers and sisters as we live together following Christ. Will you trust this morning that God loves you? Just one last thing. If if this is you in this area, I, I don't want you to leave this morning without any hope. Because the truth of God's word is that he is for us. And though we may have sinned in this area, God is going to be there to walk through it with us because he wants what's best for us because he loves us. He cares about you. Don't give up. Don't give up the fight. No matter where you are in that spectrum, whether you've given in before and you're struggling with it or or whether it's not a huge, whatever the thing is in your life that you're struggling with, don't give up. Trust the Lord.